Hi everybody, welcome to Better Homes and Dungeons, um, where it, it's twice as good this week because I've got two guests as opposed to one. So we'll, we'll see how that pans out for me. Um, my friends, who are you? What do you do? Hi, so my name is Josh. I am one of the co-hosts of the Tabletop Journeys podcast. Uh, Tabletop Journeys is a podcast all about homebrewing your own D&D uh, campaigns using rules to go ahead and make your characters and your plot lines better. I'm joined here cool. with my co-host, Lee Wanika. Hello, everyone. I'm Lee Wanika. Uh, I hail from uh, the northeast of the U.S., just south of Boston by about an hour or so. Um, w along with Josh, I co-host one of the funnest podcasts I've ever uh, been a part of, um, which is Tabletop Journeys. Um, Josh gave the intro to the channel uh uh, in addition to that, we also talk about all things genre. We talk about all the things that inspire us, help us make those games better. We are also digging into DM tips and techniques, and occasionally we'll even delve into tools uh, that will help uh, both DMs and players get a better and more rewarding experience from their games. Sounds cool. Sounds like one I may need to put on rotation for a little bit. <laughs> um, I would love you to, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so one of the um, like one of the first things we always talk about uh, to kind of get our brains in the game design thinking area uh, is a topic, and my phone's taking way too long to load up the, the message that I wanted um, from the things we think about games book that I quote almost every episode. Okay, so the 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 principle they've gone with is teach a game using both rules and examples. Um, they they like you know essentially saying hey. The, the, the example they give is a pretty one-dimensional one. If you're this guy, you can do this. Um, and they're saying a good example is, you know, uh, these units can do can move one space. If you control this one, you can move there or there, but not there because that's more than one space. As far as explaining a game, yeah, I guess, or, or a pawn, maybe, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, as far as like explaining a game like D and D, rules and examples. Um, yes, I think it does a great job of if you explain D and D in that way. I think it does a great job of not telling you a thing about what makes it fun, um, uh, what a character character can do. To me, is not nearly as fun as the journey of how a character does it. Uh, that's just my personal take. There are plenty of people who are all into 100% the mechanics and want to know how does a fighter swing his sword? How many points of damage does a fighter do? Um, so I think that's all there. Me personally, I'm more interested in the why does a fighter swing his sword? How did he get his teaching? Like, what's his, uh, what does that look like? Like, what's the description for the way he swings his sword or the ferocity with which he deals his damage. Is he a dex-based fighter? Is he a, a strength-based fighter? And while there are a lot of mechanical pieces to that description, um, to me it's more story-driven than mechanics-driven. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's one of, the, one of the key things about Dungeons & Dragons that's going to separate it from a lot of other uh, games that you'll play at your tabletop is that it's more about the role-playing, R-O-L-E, than it is about the role-playing, R-O-L-L. -L. 
the the dice and the rules are a mechanic to go ahead and adjudicate how things happen. But at the end of the day, Dungeons and Dragons and other role playing games are about using your imagination to tell a collaborative story with everybody else at the table, including the the, the game master, or the or as uh, as I like to call them, the storytellers. Right? They're they're leading the story, but they are part of the experience that the, that the players are are doing also, and it's all it's all collaborative. Yeah, I I take your point. I think that. Um... I, I think that having rules and examples are really, really good because, I mean, even the way a lot of Dungeons & Dragons books have put it for some time, where it's like, okay, here is such and such the wizard or rogue or whatever, and, you know, they do this and they do that, and this is the result. But if this had happened, that would happen. Um, and I think most of the time, the 5th edition, 5th edition's pretty good at laying out what that looks like. Um, yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that... And, you know, things like, uh, is it Sage Questions? Is the Twitter account where people ask interesting D&D queries? Um, yes, I believe. Well, well Sage it, Answers. It, sage Answers. Or, yeah. yeah so I'm a member of a host of 5th edition um, Facebook groups. And yep. the idea being get your questions answered. So. I'm relatively new to 5th edition, though I've been gaming and specifically D&D since 1983. Um, I have been 5th edition. I came to that party quite a bit late. Like, I started in 2017 and about halfway through 2017, so not very many years. Actually, it might have even been 2018. Um, but uh, when I came to the game... I came to the game because a lot of the players in another role-playing game I was running um, asked me to DM 5th edition. And I'm a bit of a perfectionist about my games in that <laughs> I like... Uh, and the un Josh is laughing because of the understatement <laughs> built into that statement. That's the understatement of the year. <laughs> um, so I like to know what's going on. I like to know the mechanics behind that story narrative. So for me, I played Adventure League to learn the base rules for almost a full year before I stepped behind the screen. So I went to my local game shop. I played in random games. I started reading uh, tons of stuff online. I started watching every YouTube video I could possibly learn about character optimization, character customization, DM construction, adventure construction. Uh, I bought all the tools. I did all the things to get the game. And then when I had a good grasp of how the game worked and how it and how things worked um, involved and interacted with each other, I had gathered a game group and then I broke nearly every one of them to create the game world that I homebrew now. Um, uh, but to me, I don't think you can do a great job of homebrew and breaking the rules in, in a creative manner if you don't understand how the rules interact. Because you really do with 5th edition, uh, even though it's the easiest game to learn, it's actually one of the easiest games to break in an unfun way. Um, yeah. The bounded act. I think the... Uh, yeah. so, sorry, I, I was going to say, I think the, um, the, the Pal Assassin build... Is, yeah. is easily one of my favorite, like, oh, damn, son, shit, it's broken. 
Yeah, yeah. Josh and I have come up with a few that are like, like I would never let this at my table. I'm going to do this at this other table, but I'm never letting this at my table. Right. It, um, yeah. We, yeah. I, I may need to bug you at some point regarding a level eight character um, for, for, for the one game where I get to play. Okay. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, you'll find if as, if you listen to the podcast, you'll find we do that quite a bit. Like we'll start we'll start riffing on something, uh, and either f- start falling into uh, how to build Steven Seagal characters through various movies uh, using D and D rules. We we fall into that okay. quite a bit actually, um, or even just uh, we'll start going back and forth. Um, we just did uh, uh, one of our episodes about the new Gothic lineages UA um, that came out a couple of weeks ago now. Um, we were talking about just how how gross the hex bloods are, uh, because I mean their rules are just they're just disgusting. They're filthy. I mean, hex bloods are basically half hags, and they're just disgusting. I mean, just in all the best ways. Um, but then we started talking about how we could use them as NPCs to uh, to yeah, you know, like I would never actually play one, but as an NPC to torture my players, like I'm spot on. I'm for that. So okay. yeah, absolutely. I've built three of them since that recording um and i've seated them into my game and i'm waiting for various players to wander into their uh swamps forests nests seedy underbelly side streets um i have a really good idea for a um back alley hag um in a city adventure um that just that that, nothing about that sentence sounds good and if you Um, got that really like why am i talking to this guy feeling after i said that then i know i'm on target um yeah yeah yeah. i'm thinking wait wait a sec Uh, that might be uh, wondering why i'm talking to you i was i was gonna say liwanika um now what i don't have with me right now are my two original um advanced dungeons and dragons uh dm's guide and player's handbook um, that I keep in a hallowed space at home because respect. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Second edition. That's where I started. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, I used to have those books too. Um, yep. ju- just literally when you go, quick question in, in maybe two or three words, how happy are you that Thacko was gotten rid of? Um, I, allow me a brief uh, somewhat ineloquent pause as I try to find a way to say this in two or three words. Yes, uh, okay. <laughs> bloody brilliant. <laughs> okay. It was the greatest yep. one of, I would say when Thacko was gone, it was the single greatest element of 3.5, like or 3.0 when it came out. Uh, my game group switched over to 3.0 faster than I think we've changed I don't know, socks and underwear. It was that fast. Oh, <laughs> uh, it was yeah. like, oh, I mean, it's out. Got, grab the book. We're converting characters. Okay. And we were and we were really, in. <laughs> yeah. Really just the way that, that 3.0 rebalanced the way the rules and mechanics work for Dungeons and Dragons, right? So it's like it used to be this situation where in certain situations you wanted to roll high, in certain situations you wanted to roll low, and there was kind of a mix, and so that that kind of, uh, it added a little bit of, okay, so I'm attacking people, so I need to roll low. Uh, then you have to go ahead and do the calculus to go ahead and figure out like what your actual target number is. Versus 3.0, that was probably the biggest revolution that they could do is that they said, you know what? Rolling high is always good. Rolling low is always bad. And that's that. That's, yep. that's just the way that it is. Um, and then 
you, you know, you were talking about how in fifth edition, it does a really nice job of kind of walking through if I'm a wizard and, and you know, here, here's a, a, a sample battle that you're going to go through your wizard cast fireball and your, your opponent defends and, you know, here's how the mechanics kind of work out and doing that walkthrough to explain the, the rules a little bit. 3.0 was the first edition that I saw that did that. And I remember with, mm. with AD&D and with second edition where it's like, you know, the rules are there, but until you kind of started getting the, the dice in your hands and under your fingers a little bit, it took, so it, there was a learning curve to figuring out how combat actually worked. And when 3.0, when the player's guide for 3.0 came out and it said, and it kind of started giving you those walkthroughs and those really personal touches about how this works, um, I think it really helped clarify the rules. Yeah, I've got the 3.5 player's handbook at home. Um, and yeah, it's got like all these little examples of all those things. And I thought, this is great. Like, you know, this is really good. I can understand this. Unfortunately, I don't have the time or the friends to play this game with. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wish I did. Yeah, that's not always the problem. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. So, I mean, yes. we used to play in a game that was on Sunday nights, you know, and talk about rough Monday mornings. Yeah. Eh, it's worth it. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it, it was rough, but, you know, it was worth it because I don't talk often about the job I had at the time or the college classes I was going to at the time. But I do talk about those Sunday night games all the time. Mm. Yep. Uh, with or without this podcast, that would be a constant <laughs> conversation in my life. Um, you know, uh, so to tell you about how important uh, this particular game is uh, or can be in a positive way, not in an obsessive way, but in a, but in a positive way, um, that's kind of the impact it had. A job's a job. I did it because I needed money. I had to eat. I had to put a roof over my head feed my children, that type of thing. Um, this game is something that edified my life. It's cemented or helped cement close friendships, uh, familial bonds, uh, shared experiences and stories, and that's powerful to me. Um, yeah. hmm. I think there's something very culturally significant about a game that brings people together and a group of people that choose to bond together over something as cool and unique to the human experience as imagination. Um, yeah. yeah. And I can't tell you the number of times that I would sit around uh, in, in Lee Wanika's kitchen, you know, washing dishes after, after him and his wife had made me dinner, having in-game conversations uh, from this tabletop game that we were both playing on, on Sunday nights. Like that was, you know, uh, it was, it was a Ravenloft campaign, uh, that's probably one of the reasons why we loved the, the Gothic lineages UA so much. It's like, oh, there's Ravenloft stuff coming back, you know. Yep. Um, so yeah. yeah, I mean that was Dewey, that was very much yeah. Because if if I recall, I think there was a like an announcement that we're going to bring a book out in the next month or so. Has that leaked yet? And I'm just behind the times. Um, there. So the Candlekeep mysteries are coming out in March. Yeah. We have an episode. Uh, we have an episode that we have on that. Uh, a preview. For that has that dropped okay. yet, Josh? I can't. I'm thinking like uh, tomorrow it drops. Tomorrow, yeah, actually, yeah. Okay. So at the time we're recording this, it will have dropped. Or uh, by time our, our <laughs> your audience is listening to this, our episode on Candlekeep Mysteries will have dropped. It's a preview. We are we don't have specific inside knowledge. We have internet research, boundless years of expectations, uh, and uh, we decided to talk on what we hope will be in it. Uh, and what the yep. supposition of what will be in it. So 
Um, that book is looking, uh, I think there's going to be some really good stuff in there. Yeah. It's like 17 mystery based adventures that can all be one shots over run and run and check. Yeah. Which is, you know, you talk about how, um, how Tasha's was geared really to, you were saying this earlier about how Tasha's was kind of geared towards DMs that were looking to pick up additional skills. We kind of think the same thing about the, about the Candlekeep mysteries is that, you know, mystery stories are one of those things that Dungeons and Dragons hasn't, it, it's been kind of a third rail that Dungeons and Dragons hasn't touched very much. The, like a real true, like gritty mystery type story. Um, and uh, we speculate about some reasons why, but at the end, at the core of it, they're, they're tough to run and they're tough to run if you don't have the right group of players with you. So taking 17 pre-canned mysteries uh, is a really interesting way for them to go ahead and give uh, storytellers and dungeon masters a new tool to say, here's a new type of story that you can run and we've written out a bunch of them for you so that you can learn how to go ahead and, uh, we're hoping, learn how to go ahead and bring them to your own table in your own way too. Yeah, yeah. We, I, I think I think it's definitely a book to look into. So, sorry, Lee Winnicka. No, no, I was just going to say, uh, as an add-on to Josh, uh, our, our thought about the book and what we understand to be billed as, each of them are very separate from each other, each set of the 17 um, adventures. So it's perfect for, I'm running a campaign, I'd love to put a mystery here at level 6. So I'm going to grab the level 6 adventure out of this book and plop it in here, I'll change the names to pr protect the innocent and the guilty. And now I've got a mystery adventure within my greater campaign. Uh, and, and that's kind of the concept behind the, uh, as we understand it, the concept behind that book. Mm. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, would I, mean, I know so. that a lot of people are just <laughs> holding or hanging out for like Spelljammer or um, Dark Sun. Well, yeah, so... So Josh I, I, and I, I will say now, if, if anyone wants to contact me and say, Josh, we'd love you to actually do some writing for this. One thing I would love to be involved in is a spell jammery type adventure where you're dealing with, uh, how, how much do both of you know about the law behind mind flayers? A lot. A lot. <laughs> awesome. A so lot. As you know. Okay, so I might be ready to get schooled in a couple of seconds. So this is good. Okay, so one of the things I love about them is that there was a corruption that occurred to them where some of them went out and then came back and said, you know, Thun is all and all is Thun. Um, and I imagine the other mind players may have said to them, well, when you say, th when, when you say Thun, do you mean like 10 minutes? Five? And then just got, you know, punched in the head for such <laughs> terrible puns. Um <laughs> But I would love to see, like, say, a spelljammery type campaign that is like some of these original illithids saying, you know, no, we actually want to reclaim our culture from this. This is a blight. This is something we actually want to restore ourselves from. And I, I would love, if anyone's thinking about writing that, please do contact me because I want yeah. to be part of this because um, I have some ideas. Maybe it'll be like the third campaign i run for my actual play um but yeah I, I i would like that because i think there's something i mean you know we've got bad dragons and we've got good dragons we've got devils we've got demons and we've got angels like illithids are like that bad guy that we don't have like right. a response to yeah. well you know the, like, the the closest thing in lore there is as a response to the mind flayers 
is truly the Gith Yankee and the Gith Zerai. Um, yeah, they I, are, but no, they're more they're result, not. but they're more resultant than a than right, an opposite right. mirror. Um, yeah, so, exactly. That's so, what I was going to say. I mean, you've got Gith Yankee and Gith Sarai, which are kind of like mirrors to each other. But but mind flayers don't have that, and I would yeah. love to see that. I'd love to make kind of like a mind like flayer origin. Yeah, yeah, I'm down. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I'd be all in. I mean, and let's be honest, uh, they are one of the very few antagonists. I think holders, holders the other being one. the only That's, other I know exactly one that where I can going think of that do not that do not have that polar yeah. opposite that allows a player to kind of uh, a player or character group to be in between a pawn or a target yeah. or an aid yeah. or a menace to uh, I, one, one side or the other or They're, both, you know. Um, and the, the Illithids and the Beholders uh, are also some of the only purely evil creatures in the game, right? There are, like, you can always say that, like, well, yeah. you know, like, yeah. giants. Like, giants are supposed to be bad guys. But, you know, like, there's some there's some brackish midwater between your really evil giant and how they can be closer to uh, a player character race. You know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, same thing with well, all. Yeah, I, I think there's also the, um, I, I, th- I think there's also the, uh, what's the name, the muddy waters of, uh, are you evil or just a dick? <laughs> exactly, yeah. right, um, yeah. <laughs> And unfortunately, mind play is yeah. <laughs> well both. over the line. Well over the line, yeah. 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 Well, yeah, yeah. the beauty of the mind flayers, and it's uh, and it's beautifully done in fifth edition. I think better done in fifth edition than previous editions is the fact that aberrations are almost to a point exclusively set up as alien mindsets. Right. So yep. it allows a storyteller to not have to worry about are they evil, are they not. Their needs, their wants, their desires are so different that they will always be a danger to player character kind. Whatever that lineage, whatever that ancestry is, uh, a mind flayer will never be like they could be an ally in one situation, an enemy in another. And that could flip in the middle of a combat based on whatever their alien needs and wants are. Uh, mm. And I think that's a brilliant way to do that. I think that's how you describe evil without assigning morality is to say it's alien. It it's just alien. will not make sense to you. And it gives yeah. storytellers some freedom that is rightfully so increasingly different, difficult in the modern era. Like to describe a group of people as evil doesn't make sense today. Right. In the year 2021, yeah. and, and I think that's also it kind doesn't of make why, sense. Sorry, I'll, I'll be shush. Yeah. So, sorry, I, I, I was, I was going to say, um, and, and I apologize for getting overexcited because no. I didn't know this is the direction we were going to go, but I'm really happy it is. Yeah. Um, I, I think it is also kind of problematic that we don't have a good example yeah. of like what mind flayers could have been if they hadn't been corrupted by, you know, you know, Cthulhu or whatever it is. Right. Um, I and Josh, come on, you just... Okay, oh, sorry. The other thing. Um, the other wonderful thing about Mind Flayers is even their appearance actually tells us a lot about, okay, these guys are bad. Yeah. Um, if sure either of you have uh, ever looked at uh, James Intracasso's My Dad's Monster Manual? I've heard I... about it, but I haven't seen it. So, so really if, good. if I remember correctly, so this is the, this is the book that um, he... <clears throat> He gave his dad, was it the, 
the pictures or the names of all the of all the creatures. The pictures. Yeah, he gave him the pictures yeah. and said, "Dad, describe these, uh, and what what do you think they are, and what are their stats?" Am I, am I is that the one that I'm talking about? Yes. 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 And um, I, I can confirm a couple of things. First of all, it's really good. Um, second of all, please go buy it. Like James is just a lovely man, <laughs> and you know, yeah, I, I I love seeing him succeed. Um, the other thing is that when it came to like, it, of course it has the mind flayer in there because you can't do something like that without right. that bastard. Um, but what I love is like, his dad is like, no, this thing's evil. No, 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 no. Yeah. You can't slip that one by me, Jim. That, that thing is, that thing is clearly evil. Um, but, but what I kind of love is the angle that he gave is like, they're also hedonists in a particular way. Um, and, and my brain immediately went to, well, yeah, like it, if you want to be very crude, one or two of them could definitely be very fitting in certain forms of Japanese entertainment. <laughs> yes. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. They just come in very good. pixelated. It's not good. <laughs> I said that to James, and because he's such a wholesome man, he's like, "What? I'm like, just, okay, don't what, worry, what? James." Versus yeah. us, who know you're, exactly you're, what you're talking about. Like this is. Yeah. yeah. Like, James, I don't know what you're trying to say. James. But... <laughs> James, you're too good for this world, James. We don't deserve you. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like the idea that, uh, okay, yes, they are just evil bastards and they're unknowable to us. They don't relate to us at all. Like to, to, to them, we are nothing but, you know, ambulatory lunchboxes right. that occasionally complain about things. Um, yeah. But I mean, not having that re you know, re reactive side where it's like, actually, no, like, Originally, we were caretakers. We, we were something else. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's something that I think I'd, I'd love to yeah. see. Um, and with beholders, uh, I, like my law here is not great, um, I will confess. Like as far as I recall, like they're born of like kind of like fever dreams and like bad thoughts of wizards, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't believe the current lore talks about where they came from. I think they basically just say they are or they were. Um, what I do know is how they reproduce is exactly as you just described. Um, it is they dream and because their thoughts can manifest into reality every so often, there's no specific reason why, when, or rhyme or whatever, that manifests a new version of themselves from that dream. But that entity doesn't necessarily show up in the bedchamber with them that can show up in an entirely different place wow and then it has yeah, its or, or own a completely life. different realm or plane yeah which is one of the reasons why no beholder uh by lore deals with other beholders because effectively they are all pieces of an original beholder they're all the same uh, yeah um so they're all aspects of one thing that have continued to um spread out into the known universe and yeah. because of that reality manifesting if they dream of another realm does that create the other realms uh or does it just make one of them show up in an existing other realm is it all the realms were created by that one original beholder there's you could go so many different ways with yeah. that concept it's bizarre and awesome all at the same time like um yeah. and i think there's a lot of I think it, it would be cool to have the beholder who has its own creation myth that it believes 
you'll never as a DM have to explain whether it's accurate or not. But I think being able to come up with some cockamamie beholder creation myth and then having that be the driving force behind the campaign would be pretty cool. Like, yeah, I can see players, cool. like, wrapping their head, like, is that how this all happened? Like, is that how Planescape, Far, uh, Faerun, Greyhawk, uh, Ravenloft, are they all fever dreams of some twisted beholder? Uh, you know, that is kind of a cool concept that you never have to explain, but makes for kind of a good playing, uh, it makes for an awesome sandbox. Well, yeah, and, I'd and, also... Oh, sorry, sorry, Josh, after you. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I mean, not to rewind too far back from where we were just talking, but, you know, the whole concept of the, the, the alien bad guy who is unknowable and ununderstandable, and, and uh, uh, I mean, that is rooted in, the, in a huge literature tradition that goes, spans back centuries with the whole concept of otherness and how, you know, when, when me as the, as the erstwhile hero... Uh, meets meets an enemy that I don't understand, it's it's clear to go ahead and draw that line and say, well, they're the bad guy, obviously, right? Um, and so I, I mean, you talk about how give, using that kind of alien model for uh, for the bad guys is a tool for modern DMs. I mean, that, that's been something that we've seen in literature for, like I said, for centuries. I mean, that, going all yeah. the way back to, to, to Beowulf when, you know, he, you know, Grendel is described more than anything else as alien and unknowable than anything else, so. And Grendel's mother, yet another iteration far worse. Yep. Um, what I find interesting is all of that to say, and kind of back to back to Tasha's, um, as we evolve as role players, as storytellers, as a community, uh, and recognize that describing people as negatives or assigning yep. specific traits or not allowing other traits uh, to groups of people is wrong, uh, we're fixing that within our game, within our game community. Uh, but that does offer its own problem. Now we, as storytellers, as game masters, have to find ways to have bad guys. And it's no longer orcs always attack the caravan. Now it's got to be, okay, so some taskmaster is forcing orcs to do this. Or they're hungry because... a some human king is starving them out. So they're attacking yeah. the caravan, not because they're evil, but because no different than you or I, they have to feed their children. Um, you know, so it forces us to be a little more mature in our themes, a little more mature in the way we storytell. And for those of us who game master for younger kids, set kind of different examples. Uh, no longer is it going out to kill kobolds because they're easy and they're fun at level one because kobolds are described in the game as people. They're now a player character race. Wholesale slaughter of a people is not okay. Uh, in all honesty, it never was, but originally kobolds weren't described as a people. They were monsters, right? Now that we're describing them as people, we have a different level of responsibility as storytellers. Yeah, I, I think... Um... It was Cheaty in The Good Place who said genocide is yeah. generally frowned on. Um, yeah. Which I, I think we can all agree with that. Um, uh, what I was going to say is uh, with Beholders as well, like you could have a really interesting story with one of them where one of them produced a Beholder based on not dreams of power or ambition or hate, but like, hey, wait, wait a second. What if I don't what, – what if I lived a life where I didn't have to be a paranoid asshole? And suddenly you've got 
like a new beholder that's like, well, hey, we don't have to be. Yeah. That would be a cool story. And again, it's neat that the game has built in a mechanism where as storytellers, we can just do that. At any point yeah. in our own individual sandboxes, I mean, there's three of us in this uh, uh, in this recording session. Each of us can say, "Huh, I want a beholder that does this." Voila, mm. and it's and it's narratively acceptable within the parameters of the rules, right? Because they can create and whatever their reality is manifests in some other neat way. Um, it yeah. allows you to break tropes, follow tropes as the story dictates yeah um i, I mean i'm already working oh, on a one shot that has to do with dreams in the first place sorry josh i keep stomping all over you it, it's, it's partially because <laughs> unfortunately i can't see your video feed anymore so i can't see when you're gonna talk oh. um yeah well, it's weird. gone into the two dicey cubey thingies um oh. yeah okay. i've i've, I've got you now now, now, okay. the, now the listeners uh, no. understand why i'm doing this and hopefully just don't <laughs> think i've been rude all this time <laughs> No, no. Uh, but it was, what I was saying is that uh, I'm actually I'm working on a one shot right now yeah. that ha deals a lot with dreams. And so the ability to bring in a beholder who thinks differently than your standard cookie cutter beholder um, is actually uh, really interesting. Yeah. So. I we, we have a beholder character like an NPC, sorry, um, in the actual play. And, and he only featured because I thought it was a funny idea. He's essentially a bartender. Um, very, very much based on, um, what's his name? Rick from Rick and Morty. And it was, uh, hey, if, if Rick was a monster, he'd either be like a, a mind flayer or a beholder. Let's be very honest. Oh, he'd be a mind flayer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, but it struck me as kind of funny as just like, you know, he's just like one of those, like, I know there's like various like amounts and types of beholders. Like I know that much. So it was like one of those very basic kind of ones where they're just like, oh, oh yeah, um, all right, I'll, I'll get you a drink. Um, yeah, okay. Um, yeah. And I don't know, I don't know it, just, it just struck me that, you know, every monster can be more than what we just have there. Like, you know, if, if, if angels can be corrupted, demons can be redeemed. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Um, so everyone, I, I yeah, I, I think we've got I think we have some stuff to walk away from this conversation. It was like, Josh, go get a, go get a pen. I got one right here. Awesome. I wish I could see it. Uh, um. So, oh, so, sorry, Lee Wanika. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was, I was just pen. showing okay, my okay. pencil. <laughs> cool. Um. So, so one last little question we 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 always kind of throw in, um, which is also the marker that my gosh, Josh has to go back to work soon. Um, how do you two make sure that you're taking care of yourselves and making sure that, you know, you're not burning out, that you're you know, mentally and emotionally healthy? H how do you do that? Oof. Isn't that a good question? That's um, a fantastic question. So, that's a fantastic question. So I will say that um, doing, doing this podcast has honestly been, uh, it has been kind of a, a, a light, um, you know, 2020 sucked for everybody pretty much across the globe. Um, I am a super social person, and by by October and kind of heading into the holidays, when it became real that you know holidays were not going to look the way that they normally do, they we weren't going to be able to see our families, we weren't going to be able to see our friends, and all those sorts of things. That 
you know, being able to sit down and have these sorts of regular conversations, um, like the ones that I loved so much from when we lived, you know, 10 minutes from each other, um, or- has, has really been great because it's been able to, to scratch that creative itch. Um, we're talking about interesting things. It's getting me, you know, it, it coincided with me starting uh, the first tabletop campaign that I had run in probably 10 years. Um, and so it, it all kind of came in together. Um, and so that, that's been one thing is kind of giving myself this really great creative outlet to go ahead and uh, come up with, cockamamie ideas and talk through them with other people who also have cockamamie ideas and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, but also for, for me, you know, uh, I, I just got married in August, so I've been married for, it was exactly six months yesterday. Oh, congratulations. Awesome. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Mine was exactly um, like 14 years yesterday, so, you know. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's, you know, this, this is my second marriage, so, you know. Oh, fair um, enough. But, <laughs> you know, um, but, uh, uh, just sort of keeping up some sort of a, of a routine with, with my wife has been fabulous. You know, just the, um, you know, like we were talking like just before we came on here, you know, we were just having dinner, sitting down, watching Wheel of Fortune, watching Jeopardy. Um, my son is a, is a sophomore in university. Um, and so the three of us getting a chance to have a family meal and, and talk and, and laugh and, and all that sort of thing, even for just that, you know, cause he, he's busy with homework and I'm busy with work and, and she's busy with work, and we're all just busy, but we all kind of take that half an hour or 45 minutes a day to, to stop from whatever it is that we're doing that's keeping us away from each other um, and, and you know, kind of sit down and, and have that time. And so it, that's also been really important. Yeah. For me, and uh, 2020, like everybody else, has had a number of great challenges. Um, among those is all the plans I had for 2020 that washed away. Um, several of those plans involved uh, face-to-faces with Josh and his family in various situations in preparation for their wedding uh, that we were not able to do because we are among the Americans making good decisions regarding this pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. So while it's excellent that we are willing to make the good decisions it doesn't change the reality that those good decisions suck <laughs> they suck out they loud. absolutely yeah. do so uh like josh i'm an extremely social person uh my wife and i who we've been married for uh five years six years this august um we have um uh, we had always maintained uh one night a week, we're going to do date night. We and 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 oftentimes some some kind of routine to it. We go to our local bar, pub, whatever, um, or we'll go to a restaurant, have dinner. We go to our local bar. I'll sing some karaoke. We keep bits with friends we've known for five, ten, fifteen years or longer. Um, all those things, and I didn't realize how palate cleansing, how energy recharging that single date night a week was until mm. it was gone. And I don't even think I realized it yeah. until it was gone for maybe two months. It was really at that two month mark of lockdown that I'm like, man, I'm stuck in this house. And at the time I was in a job mm. where I was working from home and I was sitting at the computer I'm sitting at now. My bed is 
arm's reach. I can touch the bed I sleep in right here. I can touch the closet where my clothes are in right here. And I really, after um, two, month, two to three months of working from home, I realized at a certain point that uh, if it weren't for food, because we have a nice ensuite, we're, we're blessed uh, with a house that has something like that, I wasn't even leaving my room. Yeah. And uh, mm. and I realized that that's not how I want my home to be. So I went, I got another job. I do practice the best social distancing I possibly can, uh, engaged in that day to day profession. But uh, that in and of itself was a recharge and a refresh for me. Um, it allows me to be a little different at home, a little more upbeat at home. Um, 2020 gave me the opportunity to play online virtually with friends who live in Maine, like Josh, whom I haven't been able to discuss and play a game with in the 10 years since I moved away from Maine and back to Connecticut. Um, It has, uh, I wouldn't even say rekindled because our friendships have been strong, specifically and especially with Josh. We've talked constantly. Like, I don't think we go more than a week before this podcast without talking to each other in some fashion (laughs) or another. Um, but some of my other friendships that may have gone to once every couple of months or if there's a big kid event or something like that, uh, I was missing. But through online gaming, through the course of this game, I'm able to talk with them more readily, more regularly. Uh, so th- this game, this hobby has become my version of self-care. The podcast ha- and the ability to scratch that creative itch, I'm stealing from you again, Josh, um, <laughs> has been instrumental. Uh, you know, uh, before we started recording, we talked about how Josh and I had met, uh, but uh, one of the things we left out in that more shorter version is Josh and I have done so many creative things together beyond yep. the initial live-action role-playing game, beyond this podcast. We have been in a uh, little garage rock band together. Uh, we have written music and written songs together. Uh, I'm more of a vocalist. I do not have anywhere near Josh's skill at these things. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I would say I'm an energetic, enthusiastic, and rhythmic singing hack. Uh, in that I love <laughs> it. I think I'm at least half good at it. But I am in no way, shape, or form a professional. Though, if somebody wants to pay me, I will do it all day long, every day. Um, He's a great front man. Just don't let him do any of the music. Yeah. Okay, um, well, fair enough. It, it, uh, <laughs> but I got to tell you that anytime I can be creative, whether it's writing a story, whether it's writing a sales pitch, whether it's um, figuring out a way around a problem, creativity drives me. Uh, it, it, it is a focus of my life. And when I'm able to do that, in one or two aspects of my life, that becomes, again, self-care. Um, the fact that I get to do it as part of this podcast and in in this quasi-professional mechanism is a gift. It's a straight-up gift. Um, and so when you ask me how I self-care, I do my absolute best to be very humble about what I, my skills are, my skill set is, and be so ever thankful for the people that are part of this journey with me and are willing to allow me to spread my wings in this way. Mm. No, I know what you mean. Like for me, like the, 
we we had a very small lockdown here in Australia, and I don't say that to brag. Um, but but the the constant like weekly podcast game that I've got that we record was like this is like a balm to my soul, and um, yeah, be, being able to connect with you know people like yourselves and whatnot, and just chat about how this hobby can be made even better. It, it, it is such a thing where it's like, oh, thank God I got this. Cool. Um, unfortunately, we got a little bit over Josh's lunch, but that's okay. I'm in charge of some stuff, so I can get away with it. Um, okay, so people, uh, wh- wh- where can people find y'all if, if they're looking? And they should be, because yeah. you guys are a delight. Sure, absolutely. So the, uh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And thank you very much for uh, letting us come on your show and kind of kind of do what we do. Um, if you want to listen to Tabletop Journeys, uh, the best way to find us is go directly to our website. That is www.ttjourneys.com. Find all of our podcast episodes. Uh, find all of our blog entries. We do a bunch of writing also on there. Um, and uh, you can find the links directly to your favorite podcast aggregator to go ahead and subscribe. We're on, uh, on a bunch of them in there. Uh, you can also catch us on Twitter. Uh, I, we are at TT Journeys on Twitter. Um, you can also find us on Facebook. Uh, just search for Tabletop Journeys, and we've got a really vibrant community there of, uh, of people that listen to the show and talk role-playing games. Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. We also have a Patreon for those who have already taken the time to uh, listen to the show, watch the show, enjoy the show, and want to help support the channel. Um, we are working on several other projects that are going to be coming out throughout this year. Uh, recently, uh, about four weeks ago, five weeks ago, we brought on a third co-host, Glenn, uh, who, uh, has joined us and joined the team. Uh, he's been with us pretty much in lockstep since, since day one in one fashion or another. Uh, but he is a brilliant, uh, storyteller himself, uh, and content creator. And, uh, he is yet a second a technical mind on some of the things that we're branching into and and um, looking at uh, building on other platforms as well as the podcast. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, and uh, people who want to track me down, I am NerdyPeopleD because I can't have an ampersand on Twitter. Um, please do check out all the other um, Bed Homes and Dungeons stuff and our actual play. Uh, it is Curse of Strahd, except it's a spaghetti western steampunk type thing, and he's not a sex criminal. So, you know. <laughs> made it better. See, I made it better. I fixed it. Yeah. And that is, that is the soul of Homebrew. Josh, thank yeah. you so very much. This has been an absolute blast. Cool. So uh, lads, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> <laughs>